Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, I'm not going to ask you how it's going because this week has been shitty. So instead I'll say, want to talk some TV? I do want to discuss some TV. Let's You want to discuss that. curling? Because I know you've been discussing, I know you've been watching curling. Yeah, I, no, I, I have not yeah. been, but I did catch up with the rundown curling thing. You were right, it was very funny. It was really good, right? It was yeah, quality. I was, I was very pleased with that. <laughs> but I think something else you're very pleased about, likely, is the renewal of Grace and Frankie for season five over at Netflix. I am. I'm very excited. I would have preferred a season three renewal for one day at a time, uh-huh. um, much more quickly than we're getting it. But mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take a Grace and Frankie renewal for season five. RuPaul's going to be on it. That's exciting. That's very exciting for me. That's yeah. enough to get me to finally, like, really sit down and watch it <laughs> the way I should have for years because because you, you've been recommending it for years. But yeah, I'm, you know lazy <laughs> but uh you, you want we both watch a lot of tv it's we, difficult we watch a lot of tv um other netflix news ryan murphy has been scooped up he's going over to netflix for like five years like 300 million dollars or something 300 million dollar deal yeah no and i really hope that he collaborates with shonda and they come up with something really great <laughs> super watchable with amazing actors right yeah exactly that's exactly what will happen no i mean this I'm glad to see that Netflix has decided to pay a lot of money for, like, talent deals as opposed to giving a lot of money to shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I mean, I guess it's really more the shakeup of, like, Fox being precarious, I guess, that I'm interested in, like, that this created an opening. Um, and I'm, like, Caitlin Thomas over at TV Guide, uh, she wrote a piece about this. I'm curious about what this means for FX. I think it means good things for FX because mm-hmm. it'll force them to spread their wings a little bit or they'll just start really giving a lot of money to uh, Noah Hawley, which is not a good thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> we will see which way How do go. you feel about it? Um, I My only thing I'm thinking of is I, we, people keep waiting for the Netflix bubble to burst because they're spending way too much money. Right. And that this does not help with that. This and, of course, right. the huge Shonda deal. Um, and so then, then I just think of waiting for the showrunner bubble to burst to burst yeah which like when you see these you know hundreds of millions of dollars deals that's not sustainable and granted no one else is shonda no one else Mm -hmm. is ryan murphy like don't get me wrong i'm not saying that they grow on trees like showrunners with that ability to to manage and to create really compelling and interesting and vibrant television even if it's not all for me (laughs) um yeah but that's a kind of like it just it just it has the the air of unsustainability in a, such a strong way that I mm-hmm. am very curious to see if this will hasten the next shift in TV whatever it is. Probably. And I I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly what happens. Um especially if they keep doling out these big deals, but it, the this idea that it opens up spaces for others I'm going to cling to just a little bit because Mm -hmm. just it means good things also for like broadcasters in terms of like needing to find new new concepts and new ideas and new creators yeah um and hopefully that's what this results in but I mean knock on wood 
knock yeah. on wood. But also, I just think three hundred million to Ryan Murphy. You guys could have done like a season more and a half of Sense Eight with that money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I think we know which I would prefer, but that's just yeah. me. Also breaking from streaming this week, Jeffrey Tambor is officially out over at Transparent. So there was some talk about them writing him off the show and was he going to come back or not? And he's officially gone uh, or not going to be involved with the, the coming seasons, question mark. Um, question mark, yeah. So uh, we'll see what they do with that. But, I, you know, I think evaluating deciding and then officially coming to their decision and announcing that later was probably a good call a a responsible approach and i will not miss him even though he's a very talented actor yeah and i I, so like how do you feel about like the show going forward without um tambor's uh, presumably like if they run off tambor's character as well or are they gonna do you think recast they could recast i don't know what they're gonna do I look yeah. forward to seeing what they what they what they would do. But I mean there's certainly some amazing transgender actors out there that, you know, why aren't they playing Mora? Um yeah. and the original answer Well, because of our flashbacks, Kate. Well, and and because you know, like like transgender people can't play cisgender like presenting people. It's yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. But um the originally it's like, well, Jeffrey Tambor's a big name and he's really good. Yes. But the show is bigger than Tambor at yeah, this point. It was so, bigger. It was bigger than Tambor in season one. Certainly, and that's the only season I watched. <laughs> yeah, it will. It will not. This will not prompt me to not watch it. Um, mm-hmm. I actually will be more likely to check back in to see how they adjust uh, the show, how they tweak things, if they like kill the character off between seasons, which I think is a mistake. Um, yeah. If they recast, if they, he's you know, if if Tambor's absence is like. You know, Mora is on vacation, or I don't know, and then do we just, or if they don't even comment on it, and and Mora's just off screen, she's just like around, but not the camera's not following her. So there's a lot of different ways they could go. Um, I would just say recast, but that's me. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. We'll see. Um, happy news, Julia Louis Dreyfus, who of course um announced a while back that she had been diagnosed with uh with breast cancer, uh tweeted that she has had surgery and she's uh, apparently got a clean bill of health or she's safely come through surgery. I don't know if if she's out of the woods entirely, but certainly um further along in her recovery process than uh you know further further along enough that she wanted to comment on it publicly um looking damn fine by the way mm-hmm. uh, it's a really good photo yeah <laughs> and so yay yay julie Louis dreyfus very very excited about that um anything you're that good no okay. you're good also of course lena waith i talked about when the shy premiered that like i just kind of assumed it was a comedy because <laughs> i know lena waith is a comedian it is not um but she did just get a, a comedy picked up at tbs called 20s so at least i'm not totally crazy <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. And this sounds like it'll fit right in with um, sort of a little bit of what they're doing with um, it feels like a very good compliment to search party in a lot of ways, just from like the basic premise in mm-hmm. terms of 20 somethings exploring things, stuff, and things, um, and things and stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, so that that feels like a good fit. Plus, it'll. Yeah, it feels like a nice fit for them. And TBS is continuing like comedy developments like seems really good um at least scripted wise mm-hmm. so 
Yeah. Um, also, the final thing we have here to talk about is CW is adding Sundays for the first time. This fall, they will be having six days of original programming. And I had to remind myself that this is them adding it for the first time, not yes. re-adding it because they're the WB, which is what they are in my head. Correct. Right. Yeah. No, that's this is really cool Um, in terms of just thinking about the fact that they've you and I routinely talk about how ridiculous the CW's schedule is mm-hmm. and how they juggle a lot of different balls um when they're deciding their schedule so opening up another two hours gives them a fair amount more real estate to think about what their um, schedule is and also like i feel like it points to a good sign of them picking up charmed again mm-hmm. um their charm that they have in development um since it was originally on sundays for a little while i think or the, yes entire no run. it was definitely remember. on sundays for a while yeah it was definitely on sundays though um so yeah i'll be curious to see what they start programming in that su- sunday block um wayward and... sisters i'm just throwing it out there i'm just saying or and I mean, I've seen like the first episode of um, Life Sentence, which premieres uh, later in March, mm-hmm. and it feels very much like a WB Sunday family show. Okay. Um, in a lot of ways, and it provided it does well, I would would not be surprised if they plugged it in there. It feels like a better fit for a Sunday mm-hmm. than anything else on there currently that they have like on the schedule. But yeah, I'll be curious. I'll, I'll be really curious to see what they start plugging in there. I could really see like a Legends Flash, like Sunday family lineup if they want to do mm-hmm. that. But yeah, you know, and and expanding Legends to be a more regular rather than a mid season plug in. Though I think yeah. it's worked very well in that capacity, and we'll talk more about that when we get to the mid season premiere in our weekend yeah. TV. Yeah, and I agree, and I think that a limited number of episodes for Legends of Tomorrow behooves that show. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I think I, I I think I think launching some new stuff on Sundays, especially given how Sunday has sort of opened up beyond being like a prestige night on broadcast, since it's just like, all right, well, we can do genre programming and procedurals now, and mm-hmm. it'll work. Yeah. That I think that th- this is a really good time for them to come in. Yeah. So. Lots of TV news this week. Um, this week on the podcast, we're going to keep the week in TV relatively short because of life. But we did also, uh, we weren't planning to, but, uh, you know, Twitter convinced us to go check out the first season of the reboot of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Or just just Queer Eye. Just Queer Eye. Um, which is on Netflix. And uh, that conversation will be at the end of the show, our that season spotlight. We, we talked for way longer than we thought we would. But we have we thoughts. We did. <laughs> It was a good conversation. It's yeah. a really good conversation, everyone. I, I was really happy with how that came out. Yeah, it was super fun. And you sh- y'all should go watch some Queer Eye. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to be in on some of the conversation, watch episode three and decide yeah. how you feel about it. And then if you want to get a sense of the show and its strengths, watch episode four. Mm-hmm. You know, And then you can come and listen and see what you think. But yeah. let's take a break. Listen to a little Trent <laughs> singing his heart out and come back with our Week in TV. I said blam. I'm just a boy in a la-la-la-lovey dove. I can't be held responsible for my actions. I have no underlying issues to address. I'm certifiably cute and adorably obsessed. They say love makes you crazy. Therefore, you can't call him crazy. Because when you call him crazy, you're just calling him in love. Blam! That was the crazy ex-girlfriend theme 
sung by Trent in the style of of Trent um, from this week's episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So first up in our week in TV, we're going to talk about the Star Trek Discovery season finale. Will you take my hand? Then we'll move on to Legends of Tomorrow and their mid-season premiere, Daddy Darkest, with an H. Um, then we'll talk about Black Lightning and then The Devil Brought the Plague, the Book of Green Light, uh, and sort of catch up with that show. Uh, move on to the Snatch Game, All-Stars Snatch Program from RuPaul's Drag Race all-stars move over to the penultimate maybe we'll talk about that episode of top Chef yeah. colorado cooking high and we'll round things out with uh aforementioned crazy ex-girlfriend and trent um so first up is star trek discovery and the season finale will you take my hand and this one um for me it just kind of happened and yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like i i just it's sad for me to i've, I've read many different reviews and thoughts uh, articles about this season of star trek discovery some uh tv critics have come late to the show and are really appreciating its strengths and they don't get what the where people don't like it some uh are really uh cool on it or have uh been turned off by some of the choices the writing choices uh friend of the show angelica jade bastien has a great article over at vulture about it about the season and um it's some of its politics and its choices uh i think that for me this finale kind of just fits in in line with a lot of what the season has been and i think that i mean i agree with many things that angelica says in her piece about the the show pointing towards like changes in the Trek world and in the philosophy of the shows um, without actually then following through, like for example, using um, the introducing the first uh, queer openly queer character, regular characters in this case, uh, gay men um, in Stamets and Culber and, and then doing the, the, the barrier gaze trope halfway through the season and wanting praise for including gay characters. But then, falling back on this really destructive trope and and, and, and then, then being like don't worry we know there's a problem so we're not gonna we're, we're gonna fix it and then not fixing it and then <laughs> tweeting about that again after the finale to say the story's still not done so like <sighs> i know right um or, or wanting praise for including uh women of color prominently in the show and then killing most of them off <laughs> you know like and, twice in some cases oh, yeah twice in some <laughs> cases um so so just not following through on some of the strengths. I think it's very possible for this to be one of the stronger first seasons of Star Trek out there and also be a disappointment of a show. Because let's be honest, I love TNG, but that first season is rough. Uh, it is. Like, yeah. And most of the first seasons of Trek are not very good. They're trying to figure uh-huh. stuff out. I will, I will give Star Trek Discovery that they took big swings, but I think their priorities were in the wrong places. They were in twists. They were in reveals. They were in trying to get new viewers and they should have been in world building and character. And I think at the end of the season, there's two, maybe three characters I care about uh, on the show. And um, as again, I keep going back to Angelica's piece, as Angelica noted, I cared about like almost all the characters on DS9, like within a couple episodes, even the horribly written ones. I, they still felt like people. They still felt like characters. They felt like they had a life outside of the screen. And that is you know, an internal motivation. And that's not something that has been a focus of Star Trek Discovery. I said all of this stuff. You've been monologuing for several minutes. And I didn't actually say much about the finale. I think that says everything you need to know about this finale. What is there to say about this finale? It's a thing that, like you said at the top, 
exists happened Mm -hmm. like they just sort of wander around chronos for a little while we we get to see michelle yo in a leather bustier which is fun yeah but it's one of those things where you just kind of go wait wait you guys didn't you didn't do anything you 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 had a moment where she planted a bomb and then she just kind of gives up the bomb Mm -hmm. and you're just like well Solved that problem. We we reaffirmed the philosophy of Star Trek. And it's just like, no, no, you didn't, guys. You don't get a cookie for this. And you definitely don't get a cookie for being like, Captain Pike needs help. And no, you don't get cookies for this. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> you don't get cookies. Because they want you to be so thrilled at the end when they you yeah. see NCC seventeen oh one. And like Okay, what are you going to do? So you're now I guess you'll answer which universe we're in or if we're in a completely separate universe from the original series or from the reboot movies. Um, It's Pike. We know that um, it should be early in Pike's career. Spock shouldn't be there yet based on um, age, I'm guessing, from what the little bit we know about um, about Michael's like growing up with Sarek and Amanda. So. Mm I mean, why should again? It's a kind of big twist, uh, big on uh, shock, and not very well thought out. Or, or like, there's not substance there. There's no there there right. um, yeah. for it. And so, it's the kind of thing that immediate. Like when you're watching it, if you're a Trekkie or a Trekker, like you might be excited in like on upon seeing it. But then, as you think about it, it's like, what does this mean? Well. It means they wanted to get you to come back and subscribe for next season, is what it means. Yes. And that's disappointing. Yeah, and also, you should probably just keep your subscription, because Good, good Fight Season 2 starts soon. I but... did watch that trailer. It looks yeah. it looks pretty good, but they've they've fooled me in the past, so I'm, I'm wary. They have. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's understandable. But I'm in total agreement with you. Like, nothing happens. I'm not particularly invested in any of these characters. I got really annoyed when it was just like, ah, ah, ah acting captain saroon is just like no no you no. You, give th- you give that alien his command he has deserved that <laughs> well and also this notion that okay so i guess the klingon war is over now like yes it is it's just it's completely just, it's just over. completely over the notion that you would expunge the record and completely free and absolve of guilt the the woman who, in your mind, started this, started war? this war that <laughs> utterly decimated the Federation. Me, like, even more than that. Sorry, more than yeah. 10%. Way more than that. Like, slaughter resulted in the slaughter of thousands, if not millions, of, of civilians and soldiers or, or Starfleet officers. Um, yeah. They're not soldiers. Though, so, they not. are. They're soldiers, In this one, but, but they're anyways, soldiers. Yeah. the point being, it's like, you certainly convinced us to not do this thing. So now all is forgiven and the, the continuity is again complete and there has never been a mutineer in history because that's a th- a th- the thing that Spock said in original series one time. Like, I just, I didn't buy it and I thought it was too pat and they, you know, the, the again, the big idea without the follow through, without doing, showing the work and doing the work. Um, and yet I think I feel legit in saying that while also acknowledging that it's not a terrible show. I just, I know that it could be better. They have the pieces of a better show. Yeah. And what they really need is at least for me. And I mean, you talked about this just a little bit is like, they need a better Star Trek perspective. Yeah. And something that doesn't feel like 
in all honesty, and I said this when this show started, it feels like a lot of different sort of science fiction elements that they just decided to put like little bits of Star Trek into it. And that was always like kind of a big frustration for me anyway. Um, And I'm not even nearly as big a fan of Star Trek as like you are, for instance. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm just sort of like feeling really disengaged because it feels like, like Mass Effect to me, which is a really popular space video game franchise in a lot of ways, um, that I just don't see a compelling reason for this to be Star Trek. And I think that that creates like a number of different sort of expectations, but then you lean in on it when you're just like, Pike's here. And it's just like, no. <laughs> and I, that's just really, it's really frustrating. And I'm like much cooler, I think, on the show than you are. Um, I think that there's probably room for improvement, but you basically just need to overhaul the show's entire approach to everything. Well, because we're supposed to pat them on the back because the way the finale ends is with the- Everyone on Discovery saying, like, mutinying against what Starfleet has become and reminding them of the ideals that they were able to have before they jumped, you know, in the future, however many months, and yeah. watched civilians and their worlds get destroyed. And so the, the, the idea that they show up and they said, that's not Starfleet, we're Starfleet. It's like, good for you. You have the luxury of doing that because you haven't had to experience all of everything that, that, your ship and specifically your you know second in command at least plot wise from the show uh spurred into action so it's great for you to you have the luxury of your principles because you haven't been through the war really yeah um and uh and so like having a rousing speech at the end is supposed to now make it like oh they've learned their lesson you know michael's learned her lesson and she's realized that she was wrong but they don't give any sense that her not taking those actions in the premiere would have prevented everything yeah i don't think there is any like i don't have a sense from watching that that if she had not listened to sarah or she hadn't called sarah about this and had just followed Giorgio's lead that anything different would have happened yeah Lorel still, yeah, she's still all about the war until mm-hmm. like they they and she just wants a war with a unified Klingon emp- Klingon Empire as opposed to a warring one, like a, fr- a yeah. f- fractured Klingon Empire. So like, I don't know. I, they really they want a lot of kudos um, from the audience the way that this is all put together, and especially like Michael Burnham's going to be given the speech. Like like it's just it's too much. It's it's. There's too much there. And yes, I see you, camera, lingering on, on Culber's medal for, for when, you know, uh, Stamets goes rogue next season and pl- plays with time travel and, and plucks him out of the timeline and brings it like, yeah, I see you. But that's still ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I have frustrations while also appreciating Sonequa Martin-Green, appreciating Doug Jones actually getting to act, appreciating, you know, uh, having so many more aliens on the on the bridge crew and in command. And, like, there's many things that they do that are good calls, but they need to rethink their direction and their philosophy. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's move on to a happier discussion, and that's going to be our, our talk here about Legends of Tomorrow and their mid-season premiere, Daddy Darkest. I have in our notes, I always enjoy a harpsichord cue, which is my way of saying... Doesn't. Yes, that, that I, like, Constantine needs to show up, you know, every every so often for an episode mm-hmm. or two. Um, I really enjoy that performance, and he fits so seamlessly into the energy of this show. 
that it, it really works. And again, I want to hear more harpsichord. Um, I like you described this to me this episode <laughs> as a bunch of as a bunch of hot queer people uh, flirting, right? And that that is yeah. like half the episode, and yes, it's delightful. It is. <laughs> and like, Legends of Tomorrow is a show that some of my students watch. My students of all the, I watch it's a lot of TV, right? The only mm-hmm. shows that my students watch that I also watch uh, are are Flash. Got like, several mm-hmm. on fl- who like Flash, and and one of the Flash fans is also a huge Legends of Tomorrow fan. Like mm-hmm. they wanted to learn the theme songs to these okay. for concerts, cool. and I have transcribed them, which is why when I watched Game of Thrones and they did their serious gravitas score last at the end of the previous season, and it was the same as the Flash theme, just slow. I couldn't take it seriously. Really interesting. Oh, yeah. 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 Fascinating. The same, like, notes, just very mm-hmm. slow and ominous as opposed to very fast. Anyways, that's a conversation for off mic um, or, I don't know, a special segment or something. But it makes me so – I mean, this is – I was watching this episode with that context fresh in my mind. Yeah. Okay. And it is a bit sexually upfront, like, yes. more explicit – because I'm yeah. thinking of my like fourth and fifth graders and sixth graders who watch the show. I'm like, okay, that's a bit much. Not because they're queer relationships, but just because it's just a, again, it's it's rather explicit yeah. for any kind of relationship. But um, it just makes me so happy that I know that kids are watching these relationships and the the, the how you know central these characters' identities and, and sexualities are to their their personhood and their their personality and their roles on the ships, uh, on on the ship and in in their you know teams and their superhero teams. But also in the ships, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, without it being in any way questioned or strange or, or any 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 negative baggage with it, because why should there be? And, and it makes right. me it makes me so happy that this kind of really light and frothy show is has made it such a priority to 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 have its queer characters front and center and have their sexuality be part of who they are that this show does not shy away from yeah no it's fantastic and i i i really like i was giggling for like the first like 10 minutes of this episode because it's just like oh constantine shows up and he like there's a soft reference to him being by in like the nbc series Mm -hmm. really soft reference and then he's just like oh who's this and it's just like he's immediately flirting with leo and i'm Uh very here for it and i'm just like yeah this is fun Mm -hmm. and then it's just like Leo comes and gives Sarah relationship advice about Sharp. And mm-hmm. it's just like, no, play that back. Look how she's playing with her hair. And it's just like, oh, they're just talking about relationships. This is so nice. And they're giving dating advice. Mm-hmm. And then they lead the A plot, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's really like Constantine, Leo, and Sarah lead the A plot. And it's just really, really good. And it's really funny. It's really sharp because these are like, the three like better performers like you were saying matt ryan's interpretation of their constantine is so good and so delightful and so haunted without being like dour really and it like you said he just slides right into this show and so hopefully i think he's coming back for at least one more i think i think Mm -hmm. um so that's something to look forward to but it's just it was really fun to watch that and then just have like little jokes about the fact, I hope no one was hooking up while I was about to get a lobotomy. And it's just, <laughs> uh, mm, let's not talk about that right now. And 
it's it's just a lot of fun and it's very good and it makes you forget that the grandmother plot is not particularly compelling. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's helpful. Um but it's just it's really fun to see that kind of representation done in a way that like you said doesn't make like a deal out of it and just accepts it as normal part of behavior within the course of the show and that it treats everyone with respect and understanding there's no like there's no gay panic there's there's nothing like that happening or queer panic mm-hmm. happening throughout this episode or anything like that it's just like no we're going to flirt a little bit and then we're going to do some relationship advice and then we're going to save the, we're going to save the day kind of and then mm-hmm. not be able to save the day because because you know, it's not the finale they, yet. It's not the finale yet, and also because it's really difficult to defeat Day being dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but yeah, having like Leo leaves the show to go get married. Yeah, that's so sweet. Yeah. And, it is, and, and just like uh, gay, not blind. You know, yeah. like, it's, like it's it's just it's wonderful to see, and and it's funny, and it's uh, that like they have all the right pieces used in the right ways. Mm-hmm. I think I'm up for their cast in this episode, though. I I still like. If if it wasn't already such a um like I it'd be like they I just want them to, I want them to 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 make Ray Palmer buy because I feel like that would be more interesting than what they're doing with him like get him into a relationship with someone on the show that mm-hmm. I would like you know like like if things don't work out with Leo and Ray I'm just saying like maybe that sort of thing they could do but. The point remains, um, having knowing where their strengths are, knowing how much the comedy works, the heart works on the show, to to have that be at the center and then move the dramatic plot stuff forward and hint at, ah, ha, ha, you can't kill him because he's your grandfather, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it all, they, they balanced it well. And it was fun and it was light. And it was, and we, we talk a lot about representation. I talk a lot about representation because it's important to me as someone who works with kids and sees, hopefully, things that are shaping the next generation and generations of, of kids in the popular culture. It, it, it matters to me. So that gets a lot of my space here on the podcast when we talk about shows that actually do a good job with it but it's not just that it's also the pacing of the fight scenes and the creativity of like of of using demons that we can bring constantine in and as opposed to a different kind of a monster you know as as your season bad you know with the magic and everything like it it's a lot of smart choices and i'm glad that the show has figured all of that stuff out because they like mm-hmm. they weren't there in season one at all and season two yeah. was a good step forward but i feel like they've really hit their stride in season three i i agree and this episode like really demonstrates that because i mean there's a there's plenty of really good horror stuff in this episode too there's yeah. like people like going through the walls and mm-hmm. stuff and that creepy effect and then there's creepy demonic like head banging happening and the jitters and it's just like there's a lot of really good stuff happening in this episode apart from the representation which is like you said and justifiably taking up a lot of our time with this but it's just it's hit a really strong stride and like when i after i watched the premiere um uh screener i i just tweeted it was just like everyone got sassier over the break somehow and it's fantastic because <laughs> literally everyone got sassier over the break <laughs> and so like everyone's just like you're we're on a time ship you can watch football anytime you want but not in real time <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, it was good. He he was also watching football while yeah. Leo was getting lobotomized. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, 
it's Whatever. the only time he gets to watch football live anymore and it's very important <laughs> yeah good time um okay yeah. let, let's let's move on to the next episode uh that's black lightning and then the devil brought the plague the book of green light so i think this is not in this episode we did talk about it last week so let's start with jill scott and whatever she was doing on that table to that poor not actually a dead body uh was that too much for you uh no it was fine with me i'm pretty sure she was embalming yeah um i'm I'm pretty sure that's yeah i think so i'm pretty sure really horrifying which is really horrifying um but yeah no because it was really funny because i was reading um smoke gets in your eye which is that uh book from the woman who used to work in a crematorium and now mm-hmm. like um it's a very very good book um but there's like some discussion about the embalming process and how we as came to like start using this process more mm-hmm. so i was watching that episode while i was basically reading this book and i just went oh well that's just that's just great synergy mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it was it was a little weird and a little awkward and not that great uh, um um but it at least provided at least for me it provided some sense of like a little bit more sense of like the context in which this criminal underworld is operating in yeah which was something i had been sorely sort of missing from tobias just kind of snarling around in his penthouse or like the more street level folks um either gathering outside hotels or gathering like at corners and it's just one of those things where it's just like i need it's adding a little bit to like the world and like the sense of who these villains are which is something i was sort of missing which is why i really like episodes four and five a good bit because they start fleshing out the world in a little bit outside of jefferson's immediate circle yeah it's uh I mean, I was already really enjoying the what the glimpses we were getting of, of the fuller world. Yeah. Um, and certainly through the, you know, the characters of the daughters and, and how they were incorporating them. But it was all working really well. Um, but it, exploring more fully the criminal side of things, I think, is a good call, like you're saying. And um, I don't I'm not excited about the um, I'm just going to say Taylor. It starts with a G, but taylor guy G- uh, uh giovanni giovanni no no like, like gim gimbal or like his last name starts with gamby gamby yeah there we go yeah. no it's not good it's That's, not good it's not good i'm not excited about what that means for the show and like the yeah. the, the storylines that we are the the storytelling paths that we are now forced to go down are not very exciting um no. i really like everything that we've been getting with the elder daughter whose name i also still don't know but i really like i feel like i know the character i just don't remember names i'm not at names yet but uh but her um empower self-empowering like self-empowerment and like the connection to cosplay and i'm sure that the different things that they were having a try on are different costumes from the history of that character but i really liked the way they um are fleshing her out and her journey towards superherodom um i think uh some of the stuff with jefferson's relationship with his wife is a little uh still hard kind of hard for me to connect with too much his ex-wife i should say because like he gave up superhero fighting for her um and also because he almost died uh nine years prior and after nine years maybe they'll kind of be getting back together i mean come on like Really? And the thing that'll break the straw, the straw that'll break the back is if he goes back, stays doing Black Lightning again. Like, if she was going to take you back, it would have happened, like, five years after you stopped doing this. Like, 
that's just ridiculous in my mind. Um, yeah. At least they're so co-parents, though. Yes, and I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Well, how are you liking the the non-criminal side of things? I'm liking it more now. Um, like my my hangups, especially with the first two episodes, is that they're basically just the same episode. Mm-hmm. And then the third episode, I think, is better. Um, but I feel like these four and five have really sort of like allowed them to find some legs. And it's allowed stuff like with Anissa, who is the eldest daughter, ah, yes, who thank you. Um, becomes her her comic book counterparts. Alter ego is Thunder, of course. Okay. Of um, course. but based on her power set, that's also appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I like how they're developing her like power powers. I really like you said. I liked that costume montage a lot. Um, I thought it was really fun, um, and the results of it I thought really worked well. Um, I like that they went with like a painted on mask, but not like a terrible painted on mask. I'm looking mm-hmm. at you, Arrow season one, <laughs> and, uh, and and so, but then also like the stuff that's happening with Jennifer and like her sort of like navigating like teen angst of like, um boyfriend who's in the hospital and probably never walk again and then like getting picked on from students like it's a little all over the map a little bit because they're giving her a lot to do uh, without like sort of like unifying it beyond anything of like i feel really misplaced and ignored in a lot of ways um and the show's like balance trying to find a way to balance that but like watching jefferson sort of respond to wait there were three girls yeah (laughs) <laughs> and it's just like, A, that's not good parenting, but B, it's also just like watching Cress Williams get to play those kind of beats is really delightful. And it, he's such a strong presence in everything going forward um, through any episode that it's just he keeps even things that really shouldn't work or things that feel kind of tired feel really good and fresh so it makes a big big difference i think um just his presence like his whole thing about being excited about hovering and yeah. sort of semi flying through freeland slash the atlanta skyline <laughs> um is really fun and he's he's very into this i think and it it makes up for like a lot of like smaller smaller gaps like the gamby stuff which just doesn't yeah excite me at all no no it, it- I don't, I'm trying to think of what the issue is there, like, because James Remar is really good. I've, he's, he I've seen him be really good in other things, so I don't, maybe it's not the right actor to the right character, or they just need to, they're trying to hew too closely to the comic book source material. I don't know if they are, but, like, Yeah, and I don't have an answer game. to this. I don't think Gamby exists in the comics, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm, don't quote me on that. Okay, then. Listeners, let us yeah. know, because if that's a creation for the show, yeah. I have questions, but... <laughs> Anyways, let's let's leave the conversation there and move on to Drag Race. Uh, speaking of questions, uh, yeah, uh. yeah, okay. So the All Star Snatch Game Snatch Program. Um, this was not this was not a very good Snatch Game. Um, though it was high drama at the end with the lipstick reveals. Uh, how did you feel about some of the like the queens like their choices for who to do for snatch game including kristen chenoweth up on the dais uh the uh the the drama with the note with shangela like how did this all work for you um so my very a i agree with you that this wasn't a particularly compelling snatch game um and the fact that we only got an hour-long episode i think indicates that even the producers were kind of like 
that didn't that didn't work really well for us. It was super uh, choppy. There was like nothing yeah. at the top of the show, and like yeah. like they must have cut out like a storyline that they decided didn't work. Yeah, because I mean it's it's very sort of like it's very inert as like a thing, and even like having Chenoweth on the panel, which I think is funny and cute, and it provides some decent jokes, but it never. It didn't amount to anything, but nothing in that panel amounted to anything. Like, it's just like Ben Creme doing Paul Lind is, like, amusing, but it's also like, that's a deep fucking cut, guys. <laughs> yeah, see, that tells you the difference. Like, I was like, okay, of course. I was like, yeah, I, I was no. like, I don't know how I feel about, you know, I, any of the queens doing a male character for, for that, but I mean... That makes sense. Yeah. For me, that's not a deep cut at all. <laughs> right. But I mean, for like, potentially like someone watching this, it's just like, it's potentially a deep cut. Yeah. But for also, normal like, people, yes. For normal people, yeah. But it's also one of those things where, like your point about doing a male character for this, there's no discussion about that within like the workroom about Ben doing this or anything mm-hmm. like that. There's nothing. Yeah. Um, which I, I find really fascinating. Um, cause I feel like that that's been a thing that's been done in the past. Yeah. Well, of course, Kennedy won with yeah. Little Richard. Right. In, okay. In her so. season. But it was a conversation then. And yeah. maybe they just figure because there's this precedent, we don't even need to have a conversation about it. But it would have been, uh, nice to have someone like mention something, but like, okay, if you're going to do, uh, a male celebrity for this, you better nail it. It's got to be really good or else it doesn't, you know, you're going to get docked. There wasn't yeah. even that. Uh, can we talk about Trixie? Yeah, let's talk about Trixie. Um, tell me about tell me about like where do you get the decision to do that? Like, I well, just... here's my thoughts on it. Okay. I think it's not a surprise to me that Trixie totally flopped on mm. this. Um, no. and Chichi too. And the reason being, they didn't have to do Snatch Game in their seasons, mm-hmm. right? Or did Chichi do? Snatch Game. You're asking the wrong person. Okay. I believe Trixie hadn't. There were two who hadn't. It was Trixie. Yeah, I and, think Trix, Trixie definitely didn't do it because they made a big deal about that. I don't think Chi-Chi did either, though. But yeah. Chi-Chi also shouldn't have picked Maya Angelou. But yeah, that's well, a whole other yeah. issue. <laughs> you don't, like, if you don't have a cage bird gag ready, then you shouldn't have done Maya Angelou. Um, but it's not surprising to me that then that Trixie had a hard time because being, a, like, She's a funny queen. She she nailed the thing challenge the previous week, mm-hmm. but that was not going like one liners off of Rue. That was more like over the course of a scene with one other person building character stuff, right? And and not having to respond to prompts and immediately give you know like deliver one liners. Um, so that's yes, they're both character work, but it's a very different kind of like. There's a lot more right. cons- like constraints on what you can do, and it's a much more specific character than just the trope that that she was doing in the previous episode. So yeah, th- feeling super confident, like the look I thought was really good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, and, like, the dress is, like, spot on, the hair is yeah. spot on. It looks really, really good. But, yeah, it's not surprising to me that any of the all-star, the all-stars who had not done Snatch Game, had not been through it, <laughs> the trial by fire <laughs> through it in the past, were the ones who had the hardest time with it. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that, like, even Aja, like, the Crystal LaBeja look, I mean, if you Google, if you Google her, it was, like, perfect but again mm-hmm. not enough jokes not enough quick response this is always yeah. a, something that just uh, 
it's not. I mean, of of course, Shangela and Bendelacram are the ones who who killed this. They just kill it so hard. It's just like it's kind of ridiculous how badly they killed it. Yeah, <laughs> and and I would love to see a snatch game where more than two people do well. I'm trying to yeah. think if there are any where like more than two or maybe three queens actually have memorable really terrific performances and something's mm-hmm. coming to mind or, or find something creative to do because of course um chad did share and then had like three different share looks right, over the course right. of the snatch game and there have been some some people who have managed to bring something original to it and fresh to it but usually that's not what happens and um if, if when you have only a couple comedy queens in your mm-hmm. in your group that's I guess it's not too surprising. I do think they, they pretty much all killed looks, though. And I thought that most of the yeah. runway looks were really strong. I really like the runway looks, too. Um, they were uniformly, I thought, just like... And I was really upset because I was, like, really grooving on them. And they're just like, no, we're we're going to, like, kind of skip over the runway this week and yeah. get to the deliberations. And I just went, but, but not this week. I really like all these looks and I want to see these. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, like, kind of making grabby hands at the television screen because I was just like, everyone looks really good. And I, I mean, even, like, um, like, I sort of, like, kind of went agree with you Carson that this looks sort of like home done with Kennedy's like flower look I was just like I kind of really like that mm-hmm. um so I was just like I, I want more discussion about this um but we didn't get that because we needed to get to deliberations and all that kind of stuff uh but we didn't discuss the note which I felt was just really ridiculous and really manufactured and I just really it felt like a desire for them to have some sort of drama happen and oh that was not- all Trixie Oh, you think so? Okay. Oh, yeah. I think that was... Trixie is smart. I Mm -hmm. absolutely think Trixie was stirring shit. And then I think uh, she got worried and Mm -hmm. walked it back. Okay. But, like, apparently that note... She got that note when Thorgy left and only put it up in this episode. Like, that day. Right. But, I mean... That means she had it for a couple days and didn't put it up. And then she did. I mean, Chris, yeah. they film these back to back to back. So it's not right. like it's been That's weeks, what I was going to say. Yeah. But still, I mean, come on. Yeah. And it, it just, I, it just, it feels like a really overwrought sort of thing. Yeah. And I was just like, not here for it. And also like the fact that like Trixie backs it up really, really quickly and as much as possible and genuinely looks like, oh, oh, I made a terrible, terrible mistake by doing this i didn't plan this was basically sort of like the response of like Mm -hmm. oh i had i i came up with a clever plan and then it was an actual clever plan that didn't work yeah well because when you put that note up you know you're going to it's going to lead to a confrontation it's going to lead to some drama which means you get more screen time you get more airtime, you get a higher profile on the show trixie strikes me as as very savvy on this stuff on reality tv i mean she's got her own show and has mm-hmm. had it for a while on YouTube before, and now it's on the one with Trixie and Katya. I don't remember what channel it's oh, on, like Pop it's or something, on or Vice. I want to say Vice. Yeah, I think it's Vice. Yeah, um, I think it's Vice. She's. I don't think any of them are Shangela savvy. I think Shangela's oh, like Shangela's so good it. at this. Yeah, she's and so then, good at this. <laughs> like, I appreciated all the talking heads, especially the stuff yeah. with Ben. You know. Yeah. Um, so Ben is up there, but I think Trixie is a similar level to Ben, um, and uh, Ben Dela, I should say. But um, but yeah. So so yeah. No, I don't think that I, I think that then she realized she had overplayed her hand, and you know, especially going into snatch game where it's so easy to 
to fall if you don't completely yeah. crush it, you know. Uh, I thought that I for me the end was sincere. The reactions and stuff were sincere, and it was super intense. Yeah, um, and it was also very good that they both sent Chi Chi because it was yeah. beyond it time, was, and they were going to yeah. start looking bad. Yeah, they were. Um, and I really feel like the fact that the, a like the lip sync is very good between both of them. Like it's definitely worth like a split win. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel like it was one of those situations where the producers went, "Well, let's do some drama." And let's let Rue know <laughs> well, they both also, picked Chi-Chi. And, and also, like, people did bad enough that I would not have felt bad about two of them going home. Right. No, absolutely. But I um, that would have been, like, acceptable. But I also feel like this is a, well, we need to either do a week where everyone's safe or yeah. we need to do a week where we send two people home. But we do that, then we like skew things a little bit. So it feels like a planned, a planned sort of thing because they both picked Chi-Chi to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is me being very cynical about reality television producing. Well, but there's also, <laughs> of course, they're going to bring they're going to bring one of the eliminated queens back. Correct. They're totally right. going to do so. They they eliminate yeah. two that it makes up for bringing one of them back. So yeah, we'll see how yeah. when that comes into fruition. I would imagine pretty soon. It's got to be really soon. Yeah, but any it's other not thoughts? next week. Um, yeah. Oh, God, I'm so excited about next week because we've been hitting them for this. I've been hitting this for a little bit. They have to make things next week. I'm just like, thank God. (laughs) Yeah, I want to see the queens with their sewing machines and their glue guns, please. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that. I'm excited about that. And I'm also excited because it means really good things, I think, for like all of them. But Aja in the promo seems especially excited about we have to make things. (laughs) And I'm excited about Aja being excited. Yeah. That's always a good thing for Drag yeah. Race. Uh, let's move on to Top Chef Colorado cooking high. And I thought this was such an awesome challenge for them. I didn't really yeah. care about the episode itself. I wasn't yeah, super compelled by it. The episode itself is weirdly flat, like something that you didn't know how to cook in high yeah. altitude. But, but taking them up to 12,000 feet and making them cook at high altitude and making them bake stuff. Yeah. And watching, like, watching Chris freak out because his cornbread that takes 20 to 25 minutes took 45 minutes to cook, and he was, like, run out of time. Um, I thought that was great. And a ni- another really fun little twist, taking advantage of the fact that they're in Colorado, taking advantage of, you know, some of the individual, like, knowledge that they may have, but depending on their backgrounds and their histories, I thought it was really cool and and fun. Like, they've gotten more comfortable making them bake in recent seasons, which has been, I think, a a good improvement. Maybe that's not what you actually need to be a top chef, but as a reality show, you should go in knowing you will have to maybe do a couple desserts. And so uh, I liked that they've been making them do more of that, but then adding in the the extra element of the altitude, I thought was super fun. Yeah, and I agree. Like, the whole concept of the challenge, I think, works really, really well. And um, I like that she won with toast again. And I like how upset everyone was that she won with toast again. And then I just go, I don't feel bad for you guys that you guys got beat by toast. You are losing to toast. You're losing to toast. Don't think that she won with toast. You lost to toast. Well, and if you take her poor, if she's literally got honey, onions, Onions and and like one other thing. Yeah, it was like something else. Something yeah. else that can't really be the star. Of course she makes toast. What lemons. else is she gonna she do? She had she had honey, lemons, and honey's honey, lemons, and onions. And that's all she had. I've made some <laughs> hot tea and, <laughs> yeah. and onions. I mean, like and what are you supposed I, to do with I, that? I, I fried an onion. I mean, yeah. what do you want me? I, I made a blooming onion, Tom. What do you want from me? <laughs> 
So I thought that was very creative and, and smart. Yeah. And I love the way that she was just like, just selling. She's like, it's yeah. the top of the French onion soup. It's toast. It's the which, top of the French onion soup. <laughs> which like, is the best part of the French onion soup. I mean, it's it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's what you have to do in that situation. And you yeah. didn't see her whining about it. You didn't nope. see her like frustrated and complaining. I'm sure she felt very frustrated. Yeah. But yeah. she didn't blame anybody else. She just got creative. And that's terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And uh, the quick fire, I think, was like a lot more interesting than the overall result of yeah. the high altitude like cooking, which, again, I agree with you. Like, it was just a lot of, f- it was a really cool embracing the Colorado challenge, but it also made me think, oh, goodness, if Leanne was still here and pregnant. Oh, my God. Oh, God. I, I was like freaking out. I was just like, oh, no, she can't do this. <laughs> um, well, also, um, she would be crushing all of them. Right, no, she, yeah, she would have crushed all of them, but it was one of those yeah. things where it's just like, she, the high altitude of being like a base level Colorado was too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I was just like, oh, it's a good thing she went home. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I look forward but, to her future season. Yeah, I do too. I think it'll just be, oh God, she's going to crush so many people with dumplings. It'll be great. <laughs> um. So uh, how are you feeling about like with Chris gone and like without a chance to come back now, which mm-hmm. I, you you know he has to be upset that there's no Last Chance Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um. Who, who are you feeling for this? Because I think we've got two episodes left. Maybe three. No, I don't know. Yeah. Well, because they have four. Okay. Usually what they've done in the past is one has gotten eliminated in a... Uh, elimination quick fire yeah and then one's got an eliminate at the end and then yeah. there's a finale yeah so i don't know if that's what they're going to do or if they're going to stretch it out for more weeks so yeah. i don't know but i think they're really pitching this to be a a joe versus carrie yeah ending what do you think which joe oh uh mustache joe Mustache Joe. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that's where they're leading, um, leaning towards. Because uh, mm-hmm. I think other Joe and Adrian? Adrian. Adrian, yeah. Um, like, cook well, but I mean, even when she's like at the end, it feels like Adrian's sort of like in the middle a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so I guess we'll see, but I agree with you that it's probably coming down between those two. Yeah. So more on like it would be nice if they would tell us when the finale was going to air because they i keep looking every week and like now do we know how many episodes there are in this season you're not going to release that information okay because i keep up listeners i update our notes so that we we know when there are finales and premieres and like particular ones we should look out for so i keep checking because i don't know how many episodes are in the season of top chef anyways let's move on to our last episode uh, which is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, their penultimate episode. We do know the finale is next week, airing as we record this, like, tonight. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. But this is Trent. Uh, and I think this episode is terrific. Mm-hmm. I think it's really strong. And spoiler alert, listeners, we've seen the finale, but we're not going to say anything. More on that next week. But this episode is only made stronger with the, the some of the choices in the finale. Uh, I thought this was super fun and creepy and an excellent commentary on Rebecca's progress, her lack of progress, and also societal and gender norms and how much more terrifying Rebecca is if she's a dude. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's 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 the really wonderful, delightful thing about Trent is that he has access to everything. 
like as a the male version of Rebecca. I mean, he has access to all the songs. He's got the theme song. He's got love kernels. He's got period sex. And I mean, he's got all. He doesn't of... get that one. No, he doesn't get that one. And he's just like, <laughs> but I like period sex. And it's just like, no. Um, but like all of that, the the fact that he has access to all of that stuff is a delightfully meta, which is something they've been like really leaning in on this season. Um, they were leaning in on it a little bit more in like season two, but this season, I feel like in particular, they've been like going like a lot farther with it, which I've really enjoyed. But the whole paralleling that they do here is, uh, it's just really good because like you said, it establishes a really strong commentary about a lot of what Rebecca has done, especially through this season in particular Mm -hmm. of like, and how, like you said, like we sort of like chuckle at like Rebecca becoming a single white female stalker of Josh Chan in one episode, which is a strong episode in this season. It's, mm-hmm. it's very funny, but it's also like deeply creepy. But when we reverse that and like make Trent the one who's keeping her hostage by playing board games, but then at the same time, how everyone's sort of like, well, no, don't worry. No, I will turn over the bacon rolls and it'll be fine. And it's just mm-hmm. like, there's so many different things happening in this episode in terms of like what our gender expectations are, how we sort of believe other things more than others, how we make assumptions about like Trent being the new boyfriend mm-hmm. and how that's perfectly acceptable, even though he's like the performer so good and just like won't stop smiling. And he has a turtleneck that's way too tight and mm-hmm. just like all the stuff that they're doing to make Trent this character uh, it's just, it works really, really well. And it's just really sharp commentary, satire, uh, wrapped up in a really good bow of, hey, here's how all this plays out in the finale. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they went so strong with Rebecca's betrayal, once again, of Paula. Yes. That uh, when I was watching it, I was not confident that it would, uh, that, with that choice. Because they've done that so many times now that you don't get to play that card again, I feel yeah. like. Um, but I will say that I think that they delivered on it in the performance, um, in, in in Rachel Bloom's performance. I thought she was terrific in that stuff. And and the way that we sting, like, the, the some of the musical choices, but, like, when Nathaniel's talking at the end about you're, you're a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think some of those, yeah, so those, some of those those threads. I di- I wasn't sure that they were going to be able to to really land them, but because of the strength of the the acting, I think they they did. I yeah. wasn't as big on the songs in this episode, uh, other than the intro. Yeah, uh, the intro song is just really really good. I liked the, I liked the like emotional brunt of the like the eighties action opening theme song sort of thing. Yeah. Um, the we're back in it. We're doing it again. Whatever it was. Um, yeah. I liked the, the idea behind that as like a thematic point, but it's also like clearly it's the end of the season. We don't really have the money to <laughs> do a yeah. whole lot, so we're gonna do some quick shots on the street. But I liked that it like dramatized like Rebecca like really trying to sell this idea and Paula just being like, "I'm just I I don't think we need to do this," but it was it. But it 
it emphasized it, but it wasn't really a point that needed emphasizing because it like keeps getting hit over, over, over and over again through the course of the episode. So doing a whole song for it while semi-amusing just really wasn't necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we will have more to say next week. Is there anything else you want to mention in this? Uh, how about Heather? What what happens with Heather in this one? Because I, I have the finale a little too fresh in my mind with the Heather stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get some stuff with, um, you know, I'm just, I, ditto. So yeah, there's yeah, there's see? some good see? there's some good pregnancy Heather stuff, yeah. and I mean, I wonder if that's if if the, she's going to give birth in the finale. Ah, <laughs> so we'll get more on that in the in next week. But um, I really like, I think they've done a good job with that whole like arc for yeah. for Heather and the supporting characters and binding them all the supporting characters together with that I right. thought was really smart. It just stru- yeah. structurally um giving more opportunities for basically everybody but Josh to have stuff to do. Right. Um, because Josh is irrelevant. Yes. Well yes, there's that. Um and speaking of the finale episode is Nathan is irrelevant. Um so more on that next week. But for now, uh, what one's your week in TV? This is tough because Trent and uh, Daddy Darkest are both really good episodes. Um, but I think I'm going to give it to Daddy Darkest um, oh, this week. Yeah, definitely Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Like okay. I really like this episode. I thought yeah. like the right blend of creepy and funny and compelling and interesting and challenging and all of that good stuff. So yeah, so so don't get me wrong. You know, I, I yeah. had fun with Legends, but yeah. but for me, it's Crazy Ex Girlfriend. We're splitting the vote, and I'm happy about yeah. that. Both yeah. get represented. <laughs> Absolutely, we're 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 done with that. Now we'll take yeah. a break, listen to a trailer for for the show, and come back with our discussion of season one of the new reboot of Queer Eye on Netflix. We'll be right back after this. Boys, you ready? The original show was fighting for tolerance. Our fight is for acceptance. Let's do this. I'm excited. Like, I don't know what to expect. I'd like the Fat Five to help me get out of my comfort zone. I think my dad is lonely. I want her to be excited about the new me. Remy is surviving, and I need him to start thriving. How long does it take for this to accumulate? Like, two and a half minutes. Whoa, there's a lot going on in here. There's no way that that's acceptable anywhere other than... God, I don't even know where you'd wear that. (laughs) I want him to look at his diet and see the possibility of a different kind of life. I want to give him space that he could entertain a potential lady friend. It's okay to have confidence with yourself. Ooh, yes, balance. Yes, symmetry. You got this. It's cool. It's young. You actually look 33. I see the man that he is and the man that he's going to be. I'm married for five. Are you the husband or the wife? Um, Let's break that down. That is a misconception. Yeah, let's unpack that. We all got to come together in a way where we can understand each other. You gotta show me how good my life can be if I just care. All of this only works because you were ready for it. Game straight. A common thread that holds every human together is that we just want to be loved. We're back with the Televerse. It's Kate Cosley turned as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel this week for our season spotlight. We are jumping in with the reboot of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, uh, which apparently rebranded as Queer Eye in season three. And so yeah. the, this revival is also called Queer Eye. Um, I didn't know that about the original. 
uh, because in my head it was always Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. What was your relationship with the original Queer Eye series? Did you watch it while it was on? It was, isn't, for those who don't know, this is a show from the, the aughts, like 03 to 07-ish, and it, in which five gay guys went and did makeovers of straight guys. Um, and apparently maybe other people in the later seasons that I somehow missed. But I, for me, the episodes I've seen have all been straight guys. Uh, so w- did you watch the show while it was on? Yes. Yeah. Um, like like most people in the early aughts, especially particularly of the more liberally minded set, mm-hmm. uh, we all flocked to Queer Eye for the Straight Guy as a solve for our souls during the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, uh, no, my family and I uh, watched Queer Eye for the Straight Guy um fairly regularly, especially during the first season. Um, and probably into the second, uh, we all had favorites of the Fab Five and mm-hmm. would argue about that. And yeah, so no, we watched it pretty routinely. It was really the only make makeover show that i would was ever particularly engaged by and it never carried over to me being engaged by other makeover shows but uh yeah so queer after strike i was something i avidly watched what about you oh yeah definitely i mean no no uh what not to wear i mean i get the appeal of what not to wear Uh but i never really enjoyed it Fair enough. Okay, so yeah. I enjoyed some what not to wear. I certainly enjoyed it. A uh, trading spaces, you yeah, know. Yeah, trading spaces was also really big in my house as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that poor that poor family with the hay room. Anyways, uh, queer eye got a lot of rotation in my household, and at, when I was in in school in college, uh, like we'd come mm-hmm. back for like breaks and be like, yeah. like binge it, you know. Um, so when I heard that there was a reboot of Queer for the Strike, I was like uh why that show was awesome why are you gonna just reboot it and make it bad and then i you know started seeing it i was not gonna check it at all then i started seeing it pop up in my feed a little bit and then my sister was like dude you gotta watch this so that we can talk about it Um, (laughs) and i then got you to watch it and binge like the the whole season of eight episodes in about two days Three days? Oh, see, you got lucky. I had to basically do it in like eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the joys of recording. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it hadn't occurred to me when I started looking into it. It was like, it has been 15 years. Yep. That's an and what a 15 years for, for queer representation. Um, it, like the landscape has shifted significantly since even 2003 when the show came on the air. So I actually, uh, it was very interesting to think about the show, the original show, and then to watch this version of it. Um, I think it works really well. I, you know, I, I will, we'll talk about some of the, the different aspects of the, of this new show and how it like relates to the original one. But, um, I had a lot of fun with this, uh, these episodes, obviously I watched them like I binged them. I wanted to keep watching, but um, on the whole, I thought it was really effective, and they do some make some changes to the format that I think were key in that working. But I think the the number one biggest thing is like this is a jump to fifteen years later, where you know marriage equality has passed, and many things have changed in popular culture, so that a group of gay guys is no longer like like a strange thing that needs its own group noun you know (laughs) in the same way but it's also trump's america 
you know. And also specifically, they go, they relocate to the Atlanta area. And they don't go, like, very far north or south in the Atlanta area, but we can talk about that. Yes. <laughs> We will. So, but that's one of those changes that makes a yeah. big difference in, in the feel yeah. of the show. So I actually, after watching it, and I think because I enjoyed it, that helps certainly. But after thinking more about how long it's been and what the current political and social landscape is in the United States right now, I actually think it's kind of brilliant to bring it back. What, yeah. what, did, you, what did you think? Well, I was actually like going through some uh, interviews with some of the new Fab Five, and one of them, I think it was Karamo, mentioned the fact that they should just bring Queer Eye back every time there's a Republican administration in the White House. <laughs> and it's funny, but at the same time, it feels sort of fitting. Um, and I think that that's sort of like the best thing to think about it and like bringing it back at this particular moment in this particular time uh, feels really sort of relevant. And while the show has a very sort of clear stake in, like, in the first episode, um, one of them intones that, like, the first one was very much about creating tolerance. And then this one is about creating acceptance, um, which is an interesting mission to have. And then watching that play out to certain degrees within these eight episodes and how much give and take there is especially again when we talk about where in particularly where in georgia that they go um speaks to what they're trying to achieve with that and i think that's interesting uh, and the degree to which they're successful with that um both in terms of manufacturing things and in terms of like actually engaging with their makeover subjects um i think really it it overall it works really well even if i still have my same general problems i have with makeover shows so yeah well, let's talk about some of those other changes. So, so the relocating to Atlanta and also mm -hmm. like some of the suburbs and the the more, suburbs of Atlanta, yeah, yeah, like rural areas. Uh, well, for at least one of them. Sub suburbs is probably better than yeah. rural because they don't go far enough south to be considered rural. I mean, okay. they go to Dallas, Winder, Coving, uh, Covington, and. Um, Dallas Covington Winder. No, they go to those three places outside the perimeter. For those out, for those not from Atlanta, there's a circular highway that basically goes around like the core of what's considered Atlanta, and then everything outside of it is considered outside the perimeter. And so they go to Dallas Winder and Covington and Marietta. That's the other place they go outside the perimeter is Marietta, and Dallas and Winder are both about. Hour, an hour's drive away from Atlanta, um, north, northeast and northwest. Um, so Winder's much closer to Athens than it is to Atlanta. And then Covington's uh, to like the south southeast of Atlanta a little bit. Um, but that's also about like a 35-45 minute drive outside of Atlanta. And that's as far south as they go. Um, for good reason. Um, and so... And Marietta's like right at the edge. So these are... Marietta's definitely an Atlanta suburb by full definition everything else is sort of like outside of atlanta but i would definitely consider at least dallas sort of the metro atlanta area winder is a bit far and so is covington but you're still generally within sort of an atlanta area you're not like going to like um gosh um you're not going to like tifton um which is pretty far south mm -hmm. um closer to savannah than anywhere else um so yeah they're they're going to areas where they don't really have to 
worry about the fact that they've taken five gay men to um to these areas but still once you're outside the perimeter because they do a couple episodes inside the perimeter mm-hmm. that you'll notice have very little engagement with this sort of like tolerance um sort of narrative that they're constructing yeah um but it's all driven by these outside cities and to certain degrees i think it works in certain degrees i don't think it it feels overly manufactured yeah. In one particular case. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, but another change, so I'd like having it be in Atlanta and not in like New York, I think is a good change. Yeah. Um, yeah. It adds also edge to add specificity, um, mm-hmm. which is good. But also having it be a week long process, I think is much better spending more time with the the subjects in the families. And because this is clearly something they want to engage with in more dialogue, they want to uh have these very like it it felt like you know the super manufactured uh drag race like testimonials at while they're doing their makeup or like now we're gonna awkwardly pretend we are organically talking about these issues you know um so so they wanted to create more of a bond with the subjects and their families and, and you know and i think it also gave them more time to do some of the like the design construction for some of the, them, others just seemed like they didn't need a lot of time, but a few of those seemed like they needed some time to install some some stuff. Um, so I think that was a good call as well. And I think they were very, because there's only eight episodes, they could be very selective in who the guests were, who the subjects were. And yeah. they were very pointed in who they selected and um, yeah. and why. And I think these are all good calls for rebooting the show in the current TV landscape. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And and I go back to especially like their three episodes that take place inside of Atlanta, I think are all really good. So Saving Sasquatch to Gay or Not to Gay and The Renaissance of Remington, which takes place in South Atlanta, um, which is an area that I lived in um, for a little while. Um, they don't specify exactly where in South Atlanta, um, but I think all three of those episodes in particular are pretty strong. Let's talk about some of their... Let's let's just you know let's just dive in with the third episode. Yeah, let's. Which yeah, is let's Dega talk Don't. about Dega Don't. And this is the episode where they make over a white cop for Marine, and yeah. they start the episode by having uh, Karamo drive. Note: Karamo doesn't usually drive. He only drives in that, and he drives later in the same episode with the subject. Unless I'm forgetting, am I forgetting something, Noel? They rotate who drives, but I feel like Karamo like only drove in this episode. I think you're correct because Karamo only drives one thing, and then Jonathan, for very clear reason, only yeah. drives one. I feel like mostly it was Bobby driving. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, but anyway, so so clearly they had whether we can talk about what we think how the level of stage that this was, but they have Karamo drive, and they have him get pulled over by a cop, uh, who is the person who nominated. The, the subject and yeah, so Corey, i think is the guy's name yeah and so then it's it's a they think they're getting pulled over but it's really just he's he's messing with them a little bit playfully for tv but it's not a playful mess with when you are a black man in this you know like in really anywhere getting pulled over by the cops yeah but certainly let alone in in atlanta like, yeah yeah so uh, let alone outside the atlanta area absolutely yeah. So so that w- let's start with that. How manufactured do you think this is? Obviously it was staged. Obviously they like shut off the road to traffic and all this different stuff. But do you think that the the Fab 5 
knew it was a setup and were just acting the whole thing? Or do you think they thought they were just going to be filming their thing and that it was like a legit person who like somehow they messed up the block off the road? The cynic in me suggested the producers planned this, but didn't tell them about it. Yeah. And especially in like Karamo's reactions. And I don't think any of them are good enough actors to pull off sort of like those. That's shifts. my thing. Right. Is that like Karamo especially is just like he, his entire demeanor and physicality just really changes in a way that I don't think that you can fake in a credible way. Um, and given how, especially the, cop who's in like full on cop mode like it's not like a put on or anything the guy feels like he's very much in full on cop mode and is aware of that they're doing this so he's just like yeah it's a great gag um so it feels like a really in it feels really manufactured on the producers and to get this kind of a response from the fab five particularly Mm -hmm. karamo yeah and then to be like ah we got you see and it (laughs) feeds into you're so funny i hate you right and it feeds into this this episode's whole thing about making assumptions about people and it feels like a way of like indicting them in a certain them being the fab five in a way of like oh see even our liberals gay saviors make assumptions about white police officers aren't they kind of judgy too because then like it feeds into this whole discourse of like both sides coming together to have a conversation and it's just like producers this is not okay in any stretch of the imagination that's i didn't read it that way at all like i negative read it that way so that's interesting because for me what it was was showing the reality of their reactions when this when this happens so giving a Mm -hmm. glimpse into this is what like because you said the way that the demeanor changes i was trying to decide how many of them knew or all they all did and they i was like i don't think they're just gonna actors and then when jonathan is like says something about how i don't want him to get out of the car and like has his phone Mm -hmm. out and is filming all this different stuff it just that stuff felt really organic and yeah like that felt that felt honest and so for me what it was and maybe of course this is my super liberal perspective on it was it's showing you the way like the instant shift to fear and to dread and to is today a day i get randomly shot because i got pulled i'm getting pulled over for absolutely no reason and i also would not put it past the producer's to make sure that Karamo doesn't have his ID on him. Like, have it, like, normally it's other... That's why I mentioned that normally other people are driving. Because yeah. they're like, let's do one with your dri- with you driving, Karamo, you know? And they, so they change mm-hmm. it up and they film that. And normally he wouldn't be driving. That's why he doesn't have his ID. Um, but I didn't get an indictment of them for assuming that this... The problem was... Like, that this was just, a like, a good guy cop. This wasn't going to be a problem. Yeah. At all. What the, the, what it did for me was give weight to the conversation we have later with Karamo and the cop where they're talking about, like, so that way when they're having that conversation about their experiences, um, we as the audience are absolutely with Karamo because we get a, we got a window into what he experienced and what they all experienced when they got pulled over. And that there, because they're the power differential is so extreme that I don't feel like the show it is indicting the Fab Five for making assumptions about the cop. Because if they make assumptions about the cop, 
they can't do anything about it. It's the right. cop who has all the power in that situation. So I don't think so. I, for me, that's I, it didn't even occur to me to think about it in that context, the way that you're mentioning, it, which fits in with what their their narrative later. But for me, yeah, it was, and that's it was yeah. all about building to when their subject. The thing that I was, I mean, I don't think their subject has any idea, has any clue. And maybe when he watches it, if he, he watches it, he'll that'll give him more context and more, more like awareness of what somebody like Karamo experiences when he gets pulled over for no reason in the middle of nowhere. Um, but eh. <laughs> yeah, but but I was even surprised and uh, happy that the cop believed and understood why he would be upset and why he yeah. would be afraid. I don't he didn't even expect that level of awareness even if his response the subject's response was bad apples, not all cops, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So so I think that I don't I mean I think that what they captured for me was very powerful by do, pulling this stunt. But if you re, if their intent was to to cast aspersions on the Fab Five in that, then I am right there with you, and I think it is absolutely disgusting. Right, and it's hard to tell. I mean, the that's sort of how I ended up reading it, in part because of like, by the way, it's all a big joke, ha ha ha. Yeah, uh. and then yeah. they're having Karamo drive him back from wine, drive him back from Atlanta to Winder, which again is an hour without traffic. So mm. if you're, and they're clearly stuck in traffic for like in edited portions of that, which. Yeah you would totally be stuck in traffic getting to Winder uh-huh. um, from Atlanta without any problem. <laughs> um, so th- the the idea that they, th- that this is, th- they're trying to engage in cultural conversation here. And the degree to which Karamo also discusses the fact of like making a case, but also s- coming to terms with the fact that he had a set of expectations coming into this. He didn't want to do this one. He was felt really uncertain about doing it. And then it's just like, but I learned a valuable lesson. And that's kind of where like my whole thing about them sort of like politely less indicting the Fab Five in this situation was very much about, well, all our all of our subjects, especially the ones outside the perimeter, learn a valuable lesson about tolerance and acceptance mm-hmm. um, from meeting these five gay men. Maybe they should learn something too. And that's sort of where I came at it from with Karamo's whole like talking head segment and also like his discussion towards the end right before they're about to leave about I learned something. And that's sort of where I kind of came up with through this and the editing of this. Yeah. But I'm very cynical. <laughs> <laughs> well, like he's he's clearly aware he's on tv he's building a narrative he's connecting with his subject he's making good tv and increasing his like profile and his relatability to the audience uh karamo is but it's also if if he was not super excited about doing you know as as a gay man of color doing the trump supporter cop (laughs) episode which they don't even push back on the trump supporter aspect which (laughs) i have thoughts on that too which um like, that's already you're starting with, a, I'm not super stoked about this one, to then begin that episode yeah. with this cop stunt would just, like, piss you off completely. It's like, oh, this funny joke. Fuck you. This isn't a joke to me. This is my daily yeah. life. I fear for my life anytime I get pulled over. And especially that story you shared about his son, I thought was mm-hmm. really powerful, too. Um, and, and so then that just switched you so much further back. So there was, I think, a, a lot of 
honesty and that's what goes to being able to convey honesty whether or not it is honest making it feel honest as you know the mark of of someone who's good at reality tv um in his like different dialogues to the camera to the subject and to the camera about what he went through that week and it it did feel like the the subject was at least listening i don't know if Mm -hmm. he was hearing him but he was at least listening and that's something um did you have any thoughts on them not saying anything about trump and specifically pence i mean a lot of me wonders like if they did and it just got cut from the episode Mm -hmm. um to avoid um because they have a very like they have a very keyed in narrative that they want for this episode as they do for all the episodes yeah and i feel like that would have veered a little away from it but i also wonder if they just wanted to avoid being like outright overt political like name drop political sort of stuff than this sort of general cultural conversation that they're engaging with in each episode, and this one in particular. Um, So it feels really bizarre that there's not more pushback, given this this iteration's more overtly political approach. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just, it doesn't fit their overall narrative of like, oh, you want us to live in the in a trailer in your backyard but how did you feel about how would you vote for trump and pence again the answer is yes well and do you (laughs) know that pence took money away from aids prevention to give it to people to electrocute gay teens until they lied and said they were straight right exactly and so it's really it's sort of ridiculous that there isn't pushback but on a, like an editing level, I have to wonder how, if there actually ever was, or if they just decided, no, too far, we're not going to do this. This will just sidetrack us from our overall point here of getting him to wear nice clothes and yeah. make a passable avocado salad. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe that's something where it would have to be a separate episode that didn't yeah. wasn't. This was the police brutality. Black Lives yep. Matter episodes. Yes. Um, so that would have have to be a separate one. I do think that the Fab Five handled that reveal with a lot of grace. When Crumble yeah. just comes in with the hat, it's like, guys, <laughs> this is a thing. They're like, okay. And then finding the, the lawn sign, which yeah. they must have known going in. Right. And that's the thing. It's just like, guys, you're going outside of the Atlanta area. You're going to yeah. find some lawn signs. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, what did you think about the other episodes? What, let's talk about episode four, To Gay or Not To Gay, which is the, or To Gay or Not Too Gay. Um, yeah. And this is the first time that I've seen an episode where they didn't have a straight guy as the subject, but they had a, a gay guy who uh, wanted to come out to his stepmom, um, was already out to other portions of his social circle, but not to his stepmom. Um, what did you think about about that shift in dynamic and did it work for you? Well, I, I think that they had done this like in later seasons. And okay. I've, and so this was at least remaking, like not a full coming out sort of like remo- remake, mm-hmm. but they've certainly, I th- I'm almost like 80% positive, like in later seasons, they remade a few gay men. Um, so, but I really liked this episode. Um, it's really, really good. It's really powerful. And it helpfully sort of, because of how AJ, who's the subject, um, is sort of generally overall sort of together, because mm-hmm. like Jonathan barely has to do anything. Tan's yeah is basically just like 
wear nicer fitting clothes mm-hmm. <laughs> and then a little bit more color and you're set because the way he's dressing for like his job is pretty much how he ends up dressed in the, end of the episode <laughs> just in slightly better fitting clothes and so they don't have to do much it's more so about like the real the giving him the confidence and the uh the place to stand up and like come out to his stepmother and so the entire thing is really really powerful i think and it's really deeply affecting and it really transcends a lot of like my other issues that i have with makeover shows about yeah well you can only become your true self by buying shit Mm -hmm. and like it's a very neoliberal capitalistic thing, which feeds into the whole uh, concept of patriarchy and blah, 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 blah. But, um, it gets past that because the story is so damn compelling. Yeah. And it's really, really good. And I'm just like sobbing for like <laughs> half the episode. And so I really, really liked this episode. I liked the overall arc of it. Um, and I like how the Fab Five are significantly more relaxed in this setting in terms of like, we don't have to be, like, culture bearers here. He knows this in terms of, like, connotations and discussions and just all this sort of thing. And there's a sense of, like, freedom in this that I think isn't present in the other ones. Like, um, Ant- Anthony going to get a glass of water, like, <laughs> needing a drink after AJ just comes out in, like, the harness, I think yeah. is a really relaxed sort of thing that yeah. you don't get to do at all in the rest of these episodes, apart from Karamo's weird cat calling of the fireman in the eighth episode, that's just yeah. a little too uncomfortable. much. Uncomfortable, yeah. a little too much. Um, so no, I really enjoyed too gay or not too gay, and it's a really terrific, powerful episode. What did you think? I thought it was a ter- it's the clear standout of all of these. Yeah, and yes. um, and and also including that conversation, the addressing one of the criticisms of a show like this by saying. There are all kinds of gay people out there. Yes, you are not like born. <laughs> come, you 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 are not born into this world gay, and also because of that, that means you have excellent fashion sense and you know how to cook and you have good, you know, all these different things. So I, I appreciated some of what that did to counteract um, some of the uh, questions I've seen around about the casting of the show and about playing into stereotypes and and that kind of stuff. Um, but AJ was just an excellent subject and, um, it's so game. I mean, like yes. so, so when, when they're like, there's a little bit of leather Denny belt and he's like, well, I was like, and okay, like, you have a swing. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And, and I liked how, again, how game he was to go on with that stuff. And, and to, then it's so, it's such a contrast to wait, but you're in the closet, but you're on TV talking about being a leather daddy and you're in the closet at the same time, like showing that contrast and showing yeah. the way that he lit up and was so confident, such like completely different bearing to everything about him when he was not hiding. Yeah. Um, and it was, so that was, it was really powerful and I think an excellent episode. And if people aren't sure whether uh, they would like a show like this, that's a good one to start with. It's not the standard format, but it's, but it's really affecting and really well done. Um, I also really liked Camp Rules, which is the one with the overworked family with six kids. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and I tweeted this, the, but so many kids. Just Too let me kids. tag myself. I am like you know who who which Fab Five are you? I am Anthony, like obsessively needing to organize the sippy cups. That so is me. So many sippy cups. <laughs> like this is too many 
There's too many sipping. Like, like just like his his loss of words at like the the what was happening in the kitchen and like the awareness. Like, I I need to fix this. Even if this wasn't my job, I <laughs> I I, I, I need, it's no. There will be order. There will be order in this kitchen. Um. So I really yeah. love that. And and there was I you know I really appreciated the respect for function in the in the design in most of the renovations and that's something that came into play in a big way for that episode i also really liked um bobby getting a little more spotlight in that episode and the discussion around religion um the the episodes that had a theme (laughs) the episodes that had more social context and, and conversation were significantly more affecting for me um, the self-esteem stuff with one was more powerful for me than than in seven with below average Joe. I think that one needed a little tweaking. It could have been a much better episode. Um, I really like the like the depression self-esteem stuff with saving Sasquatch as well as the cultural connections with Tan. Uh, I liked parts of Digadont to gay or not to gay is obviously terrific. And then going to religion and and that like kind of conversation there. And when the subject in that episode talks about wanting to come on the show as a very religious person to model to his children how you interact with and treat and respect and love your neighbor who is different than yourself. Because if you note, he never says that he's okay okay with gay people or that he's okay with homosexuality. Because he probably isn't. Because if he was, he would have said that. But the, and, and that's, you know, disgusting to me. But for someone who thinks that homosexuality is wrong, to want to model to their children that doesn't matter, you love everyone, I think is really beautiful and powerful. Um, and I think they were hoping we didn't notice in the edit that he didn't say that he didn't have a problem with homosexuality. Yeah, and it's pretty clear that that edit doesn't mask yeah um the other thing i liked about uh camp rules apart from that discussion was the fact that this is also an episode that bends to that family's budget as opposed to let's take these people to some really nice ritzy places to get Mm -hmm. their clothes and it's just like no let's go shopping at target this is a family with six kids they need to shop someplace that isn't in Buckhead, which is a really affluent neighborhood of Atlanta, um, where a fair bit of the shopping takes place. Um, so it's one of those instances where I really appreciated sort of a class consciousness on behalf of them. And it was made especially funny in Below Average Joe, where he mentions that he shops at Tolls, Tar- Coles, Target, and like one other yeah. place. And you can see Tan- Tan's face sort of drop a little bit at the mention of these stores. But at the same <laughs> time, you're just like, but you just went to Target. Yeah. <laughs> Three episodes ago. Well, to also, find some clothes. He's unslash underemployed. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I like that sort of bending to that, their um, economic model of like, well, we need to find clothes for six kids, we need to find clothes for him that he can routinely sort of find and have access to money-wise. And then also, we also apparently need to buy like 80 crockpots. So where can we do that really cheaply? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, were there any other standout episodes for you or moments or, or reveals? Um... I mean, I really enjoyed the Renaissance of Remington a lot just for the house. Uh-huh. It's so great. 
Um, it's just that that sheer seventy chic is amazing. Um, but I also liked it in that particular episode the discussions of family, black masculinity, and like a family mate patriarch and like the burdens of that that come through really strongly in that episode and how modeling is really important uh within that community and within that family in particular so i've really enjoyed that episode but like i also really enjoyed like the reveal of there were really nice wood floors under that neon green carpet cake yeah those were gorgeous (laughs) those were so gorgeous and it's like remington didn't need like uh, to in a lot of these instances didn't need a lot of help because the guy was already in a really good shape and generally like generally well groomed it was like wear some better clothes and here's a water pick yeah <laughs> <laughs> but so but i enjoyed like how they redid the house and like again this connection to family and like the mac and cheese stuff and all that i thought it was a really nice episode overall that spoke really closely to that community and i think that's one of the things one of the larger strengths of this show because you mentioned this with like saving sasquatch as well and to more of an extent to gay or not too gay of like establishing cultural connections between the Fab Five and their subjects really drives home a lot of the material in really good ways that gives the episodes a little more oomph. So I really appreciated that aspect as well. Yeah. I liked having like some of the ends where they watched the video to see how it all went and comment on yeah. it and everything worked better than the others. Um, I having the, the Dega do's, watch that one i thought was super fun having them over to the loft and just i was living for how much the fab five were all over below average joe and the girl that i mean their reaction to that was so pure and so good yeah it was it was amazing so that was he didn't tell us about this did anybody know about this he didn't yeah so i thought that was that was delightful and and really like kicked a not kicked that episode up a notch because that yeah. was one that that was i think they should have done more with with body image and with like just he, he lost a hundred pounds in a year like yeah that's that's huge as far that's hard to do but also that that messes with your head and so like needing yeah. to reinforce like they didn't really touch on that as much as i think that they could have i agree um, and that would have given a lot more like a narrative thread and consistency to the episode. But um, but the end of that was and when he didn't suck, I was like, oh, thank goodness. His joke about moving into the basement was so good. Yeah, it was a very good bit. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, any any changes you'd like to see if they do a season two? Um, not really. I think like a doing eight episodes is probably like my max of like what I need. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'll be curious to see, like, how far out they continue to venture. Like, I'm sure a lot of it is, like, production-wise in terms of, like, being an hour away from Atlanta is probably the most you can do because it limits your ability to drive back and forth. Mm -hmm. And so that limits, like, your access to, like, clothes, boutique salons. Because you'll notice, like, in Dega Don't, they're just kind of like, well, we'll just do this in a campsite? (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um it, it was in Dega Don't, right? Where they do like the Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um so they get limited by that kind of a thing. So I'll be curious to see like again how far north or south they go if they A stay in Atlanta, which why wouldn't you because the tax breaks are phenomenal for filming. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of thing. I think the only other thing and this is something that the original series had problems with is just like 
as much as I enjoy Karamo's presence mm-hmm. and his um, his general like presentation within the episodes, culture is still just really not a significant portion of these makeovers sometimes. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know why you're here sometimes, Karamo. And I had the same questions about Jai um, or Jay um, in the original iteration. So I'm still having issues with that because, like, as much as we enjoy Tegay or not too gay, taking him to a tree bungee cord fort thing that feels very much like a team building corporate exercise thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense within the context of this but we needed to give something for karamo to do (laughs) (laughs) but the dancing and host before before bros made sense the branding and below average joe made sense yes um so so some of it you know did but yeah they there's several rows of the stretch um indeed indeed um what i need to change is i need two things I need okay. Tan to stop rolling up everybody's sleeves. Yeah, what is with that? I was just like, have I been wearing my shorts wrong? I don't think I have. No. <laughs> Especially when he was rolling up short sleeves. I was like, I no straight guy is going to roll up a short sleeve so that it ends up on a diagonal so that you can really see their arm muscles. Like, And no. I also don't have arm muscles, so well, I yeah, think I'm just going to leave them as is yeah um like like for some people yeah but when they keep using the same thing every time it gets old and the same thing is true bobby stop using so much black and also kind of start start stop using the same posters because he repeats posters a couple of times and i just Mm -hmm. went that's not great (laughs) yeah 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 because some of it was like having the black accent wall talking about like optical illusions is great but then yeah like literally the next episode after painting a whole house white the next episode he was talking about how white walls look terrible and you should never use them it's like you just painted like an entire house white yeah so that doesn't that doesn't it's really sleek modern and masculine so that's why i like to do it and it's just like Mm. like why did and and the entire like kitchen in that firehouse being black brick it just sucks all the like that's a terrible idea that it's it's so dark and it's like that place is going to be terrible when it's dark outside or when it rains yeah well and it's also just gonna be immediately very dated you know very like clearly this hasn't been renovated since the early late 20 teens yeah 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 but um most of the rest of it though i I, like those were just the two things that stood out to me i think actually overall they they pretty much all did a good job of listening to their subject respecting them on like knowing when to push and when not to push like like all the when bobby's like this entire house will be storage for the uh the family with eight people i was like eight people in one bathroom i was like yes you are speaking my language and the same thing that i felt the same way about anthony and some of the stuff too so i I liked that there was more i felt like there was more listening in this version than there was in the original yeah and i think that's like the biggest change um tonally um, apart from like the more like political agenda um, sort of approach is that this is significantly more affirmative or of their subjects than it is necessarily nitpicky yeah. or pushing them into uncomfortable situations of like, no, I really don't want to wear that much color. Okay. Muted prints. Got it. And it just, there's a degree of understanding of who their subjects are like you said, that just to a certain degree isn't present 
in the original. I mean, even like Antony's dishes are all things that are very easy to make, but delicious as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and something that you can get all the ingredients from your store, from your local yes. store. Right. You don't, you know, like you can make it pretty quickly. Yeah. Those are all. Yeah. It felt very. It, 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 I was actually hoping for a little more complicated you know, ideas right. uh, sometimes, but for who their subjects were, I thought they were well tailored. Yeah. So I mean, good. you know, given giving the app developer grilled cheese to make is probably really smart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Well, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org. Leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV, what you thought of Queer Eye Season 1, should you have checked it out. You can also email theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there, or find us on iTunes with our M- or a chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We do appreciate ratings and reviews both there and Stitcher because it helps people find the show. And we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And thank you so much, Noel. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.